0: Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon
1: to be here sharing the word with you. Uh, We are continuing, for those who uh, may be tuning in with us, whether you're in person, or whether you're on YouTube or Facebook Live, we're glad that you are with us. Uh, We are continuing our series um, entitled One, The Union, Communion, and Calling of the Church. And we found ourselves, as we return to the series this fall, uh, in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, and we are actually walking out um, a series on marriage. Uh, and we got off to a great start last week and began to look at this, and we're going to continue uh, to examine the Word of God around uh, the idea of marriage and God's plan for marriage. And I'm excited about this series. Uh, so far, uh, we planned it to run about eight weeks. We've got some great things uh, planned in addition to sermons. we got some other discussions and things like that uh, to help enrich and pour into marriages, because we know, um, contrary to what uh, other folks may tell you, that family and marriage is the backbone of the church and of society, and is God's original institution and plan for humanity. Amen? Amen. So we want to look at what his word has to say to us. So if you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 30 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 30. And if you are using our Pew Bible, it's it's on page 979. And speaking of that Pew Bible, if you need a Bible yourself or know somebody that needs one, feel free to take it as our gift to you. And even if you can't find it for whatever reason, it'll be up on the screens for you. And if we would stand together for the reading of God's word. Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 30. And when you have it, give me an amen. 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 Hear the word of the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word Eternal God, our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your clear call to husbands and those who would take the mantle of leadership and love in their families. Eternal God, I pray that you would now speak to us, encourage us, God, not just the husbands, but the wives, to the singles, to everyone under hearing. God, we believe that your word is instructive to, to us wherever we are, even when it is specific. God, so we pray that you would speak to our hearts, teach us about your love, your grace for us, and call her to deeper levels of love for one another. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. Last week, I talked to us from the thought, the mystery of marriage. And I sought to uncover for us um, how marriage is rooted in the two flesh or the one flesh union. Um, and that is ultimately a mysterious union that all of humanity has been trying to get its head around for the last however long we've been on earth. Um, but today, I want to lift for you the thought, the ministry of marriage. The ministry of marriage. I have the privilege um, of teaching uh, at uh, some local uh, schools and seminaries and stuff like that. I teach a couple classes um, over at Covenant and at Missouri Baptist. And so I had the opportunity to hang with students and uh, people who are thinking about ministry, training for ministry. Um, and it's a, it's a joy. It really is it's a privilege um, that I get to actually share uh, with people as they train and think about ministry and discern their calling and things like that. And I was at one of the schools recently, um, and I was hanging with a young man who loved the Lord, full of the Spirit, um, and eager to serve the Lord in ministry. And we had a really good conversation. Um, and he was just really excited about what he believed the Lord was calling him to do. And I just, he was just talking, and it was so encouraging to hear his heart um, for the Lord's work. But as he kept talking, um, I noticed the young man kept saying something, a, a particular phrase. He kept talking to me about his career in ministry. He kept saying my career, in ministry, and such and such a career in ministry, and he just kept saying career, career, career. Um, and you know, sometimes you know, I try not to be one of those people. This overly nitpicky, you know. Um, I know what he meant. He meant that he wanted to give his life to ministry, and that wanted to want, that that was the work uh, that he desired to give himself to. But he kept talking, and I finally, at one point, I, I just felt it wouldn't be a good look on my end if I just didn't help him out with that word career in his connection to the word ministry. I just felt like it wouldn't. I wouldn't be helpful. What am I here for? What am I sitting here for? Um, And so I finally interrupted the young man. I said, um, I said, I said, young man, I'm super glad that you're excited about serving the Lord. Super glad about your heart. Super glad that you're getting further training. I was like, but I just need to press in on something. Ministry is not a career. Ministry is a calling. I, I spent some time with him. I said, there is no ladder to climb. There is no upward mobility. There is no advancement. Frankly, most pastors, contrary to what uh, the media would have you to think, most pastors don't have private jets. Most pastors, (laughs) I don't have one. Uh, (laughs) Throwing that out there. Most pastors are not driving around in fancy cars. If you must know, I drive a Hyundai. Uh, (laughs) Looking out for the Kia boys right now. But anyway, I uh, (laughs) need to get a club. Uh, But (laughs) ain't been getting them, boy. No, most of us don't ain't driving around in Bugattis and Maseratis. Most of us, most pastors, you need to know this, most pastors are actually bivocational. Most pastors work, and the truth of the matter is, is that there are many ministers who give their life to a life of service and actually retire without much retirement and don't have much money at all. And so I say, young man, if you're looking for a career, be an accountant. If you want upward mobility, join a company and be an executive. But if you are looking to serve, be in the ministry. And I began to talk to him about how ministry is not about how high you can climb, but it's about how low you are willing to stoop for service. That's what ministry is all about ultimately. And I know you're like, Carlos, I thought this is a sermon about marriage. Well, I told you what the title of the sermon was, that this is about the ministry of marriage. <clears throat> and oftentimes I sit with young couples and they are excited and they're telling me about their dreams, their aspirations for their for their marriage, for their life together. And many times I'm hearing things about romance, romance and companionship and their financial and career and educational goals and how they can support one another. And one of the exercises that I often have them to do is to write out a mission and vision for their marriage. What is, what is the goal that you are shooting for and is it aligned? And I often have them do it separately and bring it back and see if it's aligned. And one of the things that I notice is that very rarely, almost never, does anyone come back and say, my vision for my marriage is that I would serve my spouse? Often it's about what the spouse can do for me, how they want to enjoy one another. And let me be clear, that's, that's important. That, that matters. Romance, companionship, all these things matters. But the essence of marriage is actually meeting another flawed, imperfect individual, affirming your love for them, and then affirming a commitment not only to present love, but to future love that will transcend how you feel. And so when we start talking about service, you need to know, and I'm I'm talking to my folks that are married, if the folks that's been married for a while, I ain't telling you nothing you don't know at all. (laughs) And to the people that are thinking about marriage or might be open to marriage or might be single, I'm trying to help you and let you know that as you begin to look and you begin to connect and you begin to meet people, you need to look at that person. You need to know that the infatuation is going to wear off. The, the infatuation is ultimately going to be gone. And one day you're going to be left with that person and their flaws. And can you look at them and say, I want to minister to you and see you grow and be conformed to the image of God. That's what marriage is about. You know, it's, 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 it's a bunch of stuff that we all got to work through. You know, marriage is a, a profoundly exposing thing. I, I I was jarred by this when I first got married. Like, oh, I legit thought I had it going on. I thought I was all, autoc- I mean, she married me, she said yes, right? You know, well, I wouldn't, I'm the, I, you know, I don't struggle with my view of myself, but I found um, experientially um, that marriage, yes, it exposes the areas where you're strong, but it also exposes the areas where you're weak. That marriage, it, it exposes ways that you are sinful, that you are selfish, it exposes your true desires, priorities and values, not only to your spouse, but to yourself. Something else that marriage is exceptionally good at is exposing your unhealed trauma. If if you haven't dealt with that little boy, with that little girl that lives in your heart often, number one, your attraction is likely going to drive you to someone that is still seeking to address those hurts. But in addition to that, all of those hurts and unhealed places are going to continue to manifest and will sabotage your marriage, and you won't even know why. This is why, when I'm talking to people who are single and looking, um, often tell them, um, you're not even ready to thinking, think about being somebody's spouse unless you have done some therapy by yourself. You're not, don't, don't talk about that you're looking, I mean, talk about it, but but I'm just trying to tell you, you're going to hurt yourself, that if you have not uncovered and dealt with that inner child, that, that little boy, that little girl, and have done some healing, it's going to find its way into your marriage, and it is going to sabotage, and things are going to creep up, and it's going to become a giant game of whack-a-mole involving another person in their heart. I remember when I was in seminary, man, it, it was funny, uh, you know, it, we, me, and, uh, me and Monique, we was going through one of those past, uh, you know, one of those, just those rough patches where you just ain't vibing. I mean, ain't nothing wrong, nothing crazy happened, just, we just ain't vibing. And you know, of course, in my mind, it's her fault. What is her problem? Um, I, I'm a seminarian. Um, <laughs> I know Greek and Hebrew. I obviously um, have been sanctified by the Lord. Look at my grades. I've been, know what this woman's problem is. So I went to Covenant. Covenant, um, it offers it's seminarians uh, free counseling. They have a counseling center there. And this was my last year of seminary. I had never done, in my life, at this point, I'm married and been through undergrad in seminary, getting ready in a year to go and pastor people, had never done intensive therapy, right? And so I was like, huh, all right, I'll give it a shot, see what they're gonna say. What are they gonna tell. What they finna tell me? It, Monique, Monique didn't go to counseling. We didn't even go to group counseling. I just went to marital counseling. What I found... One, as I went in there, I, 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 in my first three sessions, I just determined, you know what, I probably don't need to be a pastor, actually. Um, I might just need to do this for about another four or five years. I just need to work at McDonald's. Man, stuff started coming up. I was terrified. I was like, man, I'm going to tear some stuff up. But what I also noticed was about three or four sessions in, and it blew my mind how after me, by myself, going to counseling, how much my wife improved. <laughs> it was magic. I was like, man, these counselors, they are like modern day wizards. I mean, I talk to them and somehow my wife gets better. This is unbelievable. Y'all, y'all know I'm joking, right? <laughs> now, what I found out was that I was actually the issue that's, there were things and behaviors and attitudes and things I had that was feeding into our marriage that when I actually worked on myself, um, actually seemed to get better. And so, I know you're like, Carlos, what, why, why are you bringing all this up? Why, do you, why are you talking about trauma and ministry and all these things? I, ta- I thought that you read us a passage about husbands, how they are supposed to love their wives. I thought this was beat up on my husband Sunday. Like, I was amped. Like, thought you was gonna beat the brakes off this man for a good 40 minutes, like I was ready. <laughs> and here's the reason why we haven't gotten there yet, uh, because when we look at the ministry of marriage, what we actually see in the text is that it is actually reciprocal. So, so it 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 it, it is. We're, we're going to talk about the roles of headship and all that stuff. I know y'all have been eager to get there. Some of y'all are ready for me to get to the y of submitting. That's next Sunday. We're going to get there, but. <laughs> I think we need to take our time because if you've noticed, I'm actually walking backwards through this text. I actually started last week in verses 31 and 32 talking about the mystery of marriage. And today I'm moving upward, looking at the husband's instruction. And even before I get there, I'm going to move upward a little bit and look earlier in chapter five, because I think Paul actually weaves his argument, gives instructions and then lands on the anchor of his logic. And so I thought it more helpful to actually give the umbrella thought of the apostle and then walk through his injunctions and his instructions. But before we look at the, how the husband should function, we have to know that this heading in Ephesians chapter 5 for love is not just for husbands. It's for husbands and for wives. If you look at Ephesians five one, if you go up right there earlier in the chapter, he actually gives what his functions as a heading for this verse to all the church. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a free, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's to all Christians everywhere, including your wife. And so, you know, I've heard some weird stuff because if you look at the last, chapter, last verse in this chapter, it says, see that husbands love your wives and that hus- wives respect their husbands. I've heard some weird stuff on on Instagram um, where a lot of people listen to preaching nowadays. Listen, IG, TikTok preachers. They were saying stuff like, and these are notable people, really smart people to actually enjoy from time to time. You know, but they were saying things like, see, a husband, he just needs to love his wife, you know, but a man don't really need love. He needs respect. And I was like, huh? Wait a minute. I need love, baby. (laughs) Wait a minute. I want some, I want to be cuddled around this bug, too. Like, what do you mean? I want some love. And and so I think that like we we have taken what Paul is saying and diced it up in these weird ways where we're like okay men need this, and women need this, and and you can't really love someone if you don't respect them, and the ultimate sure of respect is love, and so they're actually two sides of the same coin. And so and the last thing that we need is men, especially in an age where manhood, you know, I I, I get coming against toxic masculinity, but I also think we've, by mistaken, started to target actual masculinity. And so men are not encouraged to be vulnerable, to be emotional, to have their needs met, to say that I actually do need love and affection. So I think anything that is saying that a man don't need love is inherently damaging. And I will say this, especially for us black men, The last thing that those of us who are black men in this country and in this world who have experienced discrimination, um, barbarity, and brutality needs to hear somehow that we are not worthy or don't need love. Can the brother say amen? amen? And so I want to be clear that... What happens when we see in the scripture is that these, uh, these injunctions to husbands, to wives, while they are concentrated based on the unique wiring and complementarity of male and female, and we do believe that there is a distinction between male and female, that there are two genders, male and female, and that I'm not going to dive into who cooks the dinner or who, who manages the money. It's not about that, actually. But it is a distinction between men and women that God upholds. And he says, based on how he has made them, there are things that his expression suitably come through more accurately in male headship and masculinity and femininity. Does that make sense? And so when we see God saying, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, what we actually see is God is saying, sorry about that. What we actually see is that God is saying to, saying to husbands that you need to be the one who stoops the lowest in the ministry of marriage. If you want to understand male headship, nowhere in the Bible, listen to this, brothers, nowhere in the Bible does it says demonstrate your headship. Every place where it speaks of male headship, and if you look at these verses, it says very clearly, it says, wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, because the husband is the head of your wives. But Paul doesn't jump over to verse 25 and says, and now you rule her with an iron fist. Look at what he says. He says, wives, he is the head. But then when he talks to the head, he says, your job is to love like Jesus. Now both love, but husbands, you are the chief servant of your house. You are called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That means that you give up your life for your wife. This means that you wash her in the word. It means that you nourish, that you cherish her, that you pour into her. In other words, you become like Jesus, who is the chief servant, the second person of the Trinity, God over everything, who says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. If Jesus washed feet, who are are you not to wash the feet of your bride. Amen. And so, when we see this injunction, it's Paul saying, "Brothers, you are to exemplify the husband's headship and role." It's like Jesus. It's never used to please and serve himself, but to please and serve his family. It's never used and done for per- for personal purposes in order to lord over or to manipulate or harm your spouse. But it's to do. It's used to model the loving headship of Jesus. Now I know um, there may be some sisters that's like, look, I don't like this idea that a man is my head, and I get it. I, I get those who may say that. Um, but the reason why we say that, we say that, and may feel that way, is because many of us have not experienced Jesus-like headship, where it's actually sacrificial and self-giving love. What we often have experienced is self-serving love, and so even the idea that someone can love us this way, it causes a dissonance that many of us can't get over. Before you reject that, I I, I would actually encourage you that when we think about this idea, I I, I just, and I say this, you know, I do marriage counseling sometimes and I've sat and I've just seen people like bristle with this idea, but I don't know what woman wouldn't want a man who loves them, who serves them and is willing to take a bullet for them like Jesus takes for his bride. And so I would encourage you not to not to push back, and now I can understand the skepticism because it's not that many out here, but I believe that what God lays out here for husbands is not to harm, but to help the wives and the families to flourish, not to oppress and to harm. And so when we look at this, I think we see a few ideas about how the ministry of marriage should work. Now, again, I wanna say it again, I believe it's reciprocated, man and female in many ways, but it's exemplified by the husband as the head. And that headship is the chief servant and the chief one responsible for the temperature in the home. And the first thing I think we see here in the text is that we see this foundation of the ministry of marriage. Just in verse 25. Look at what Paul says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Paul, in talking, to the head of the household, is super concerned with him doing one thing, loving his wife. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Verse 28, in the same way husbands ought to or should love their wives. Verse 33, he says it again, however, let each one of you love your wives as himself. Three times, he says to men, love your wife. And listen, man, look, when it's going well, Ain't this the easiest commandment ever? When things are going well, when y'all vibing, when y'all feeling each other, when she looking how you want her to look, when things are happening the way you want them to happen, when she treating you the way you want to be treated, when she doing all the things that she like, when she cooking you the stuff that you like, when she's calling you her king and and posting you on her IG, and she like y'all on, y'all caking up on social media. I mean, I love to see that. I love to see couples like caking in in the comments and you know, and it's like, wow, they sitting next to each other, caking in the comments on Facebook. This is unbelievable. They must really be in love. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, depends. I don't get all that, I just like it and keep moving. I even give it a heart and keep moving and just <laughs> pray that it's not a cover for what's happening at home. <laughs> but it's easy to do when conflict is low and attraction is high. But this injunction gets much more difficult when we don't feel the love anymore. That's when this injunction becomes difficult, because let, let, let me be honest, I know there are some brothers who are listening to me right now who were terrified when I read this scripture, because you are like, Carlos, let me keep it all the way funky with you, bro. I do not love her anymore. I haven't loved her in years. Now, listen, some, some guys may say that because their eye is wandering. Some guys may say that because there's a number of women who have, clack, who have grasped their gaze and they're looking away, but that isn't everybody. I don't even know. I hope it ain't even most guys. For some people, it may be that the infatuation has worn off. For some, it may be not even that infatuation has worn off, but for you, it may actually be that for whatever reason, your tank is empty. You know, I often equate love and relationships to a bank account and You can make withdrawals as long as there's money in there. But if you keep making withdrawals and there are not enough deposits, eventually you're going to overdraw. Eventually you're going to be in the red. Eventually the card is going to decline. And what some of y'all are saying right now is like, Carlos, I want to love my spouse. And let's just be honest, it ain't just the brothers, it's some of the sisters in here. And you're saying, I want to love them, but the card is declining. It is insufficient funds. There is nothing left in the bank. How do I do this? That's a valid question. And listen, I wish I had like a, I wish I had a silver bullet to give you. I wish I could say one thing or quote the right scripture that will fix it because this is real. This is real and it is, it is we live in it, we experience it. But I just want to help you with one thing that I think can lead to uh, progress in this area. I had a pastor once tell me, sometimes all you want in the pulpit, you're just trying to get base hits. Like sometimes you just need progress. Sometimes you just need to move forward. I want to try to help you move forward a little bit. And I want to start with your definition of love. Because what we often mean when we say love, it may not just be infatuation, but it is a feeling. It's a warm fuzzy. And when we say we don't love her no more, that means when she walks in, I don't get butterflies no more. When she calls me, my wrists don't tingle when I see emojis. I don't send her heart emojis like I used to. I don't, I don't, I don't send her good, morning, beautiful texts like I used to. I, I, these feelings that I have, they're not there. And here's the challenge with leaving love strictly in the realm of feeling, is that feelings are fickle and fleeting. If how you are defining love is as a feeling, is as merely an emotion, then you're gonna be disappointed every time. You get heartburned the wrong way and you're not gonna be in love no more. They do or say something, you're gonna question everything about this relationship. I told y'all, you only got six months to two years of that. And so when you think about love, it's fickle, or the emotions, it's fickle, it's fleeting. And not only that, sometimes when our emotions are in overdrive, when we are in a state of infatuation, it can actually be more self-serving than it's actually self-giving. Because when we are infatuated with that person, when we want their attention, when we want their focus, we're willing to do things to get that, not just so that they can experience love and grace, but so that we can experience the affection and the response that they have for us. Because we actually want that for ourselves so it can actually turn inward. And so when we start thinking about love, I I like to think about it. I don't don't want to poo-poo on emotional love or even romantic love because it's important. But I think it's like, you know, I was checking out. I do weird stuff. I was really excited about the theology of the bottle works in space. Uh, y'all need to know, I've wanted to do a lot of things in life, um, but one of those things I wanted to do um, was to be some type of scientist. And I've always been fascinated with outer space. I just think outer, sp- I think science in general is just fascinating. Um, but outer space is my absolute jam. And so I was looking at rockets. And um, I'm just nerdy like this. And what I found out about rockets is that they, this is a bit of an oversimplification. I think we li- we've literally had rocket scientists in this congregation, so I'm always scared about science. We got a bunch of like WashU PhDs and biology. I just, I'm gonna be, it's an oversimplification. Uh, but what I found out is that rockets use basically two types of fuel, solid and liquid fuel. And the solid fuel, is what actually gets the rocket into orbit, and it is highly combustible, and all it takes is a spark for the rocket to explode and for it to go up into the air. But what I also found out is that fuel fuel is actually insufficient to keep the rocket in orbit. That kind of fuel, while it can get it off the ground, while it can launch it into the air, that kind of fuel is actually unable to give the rocket the guidance that it needs to get into orbit and to actually deliver the payload, and so it needs liquid fuel which burns longer, which can be used little by little to keep it going. And when we think about love, some of us are looking at that emotional infatuation, and we are looking for that burst of love that we had, and when it's gone, we think we're out of fuel. But the reality is that we're not actually out of fuel. We're not actually out of fuel. We just need to change the kind of fuel that we have. We don't need an immediately combustible fuel. We need a fuel that can slow burn and that can burn steady, that can help get our marriage back into orbit. Does that make sense? And so when we think about that, when we think about this, I began to think about all these things like how do you go, how do you transition from the short burst of love? How do you transition from that short explosion of love that gets you off the ground, that first short period of time to the longer burning steady fuel of love that is built on commitment and covenant? I started looking. I started reading because this is a serious question. This is a question that is plagued people and people have wrestled with for years and philosophers and ministers have wrestled with. And I just found one consistent answer to this question is that you have to allow your actions to lead your affections. Uh, Everybody that I read, everything that I checked, every philosopher, whether they were old or whether they were new, every single one of them said at the end of the day, sometimes your actions have to go where your feelings have either left or are not ready to go. Now, I know some of y'all are like, Carlos, that sounds like faking it till you make it. That's not what I'm saying, because if you married, you already made it. You ain't faking nothing at this point. You you in there. Ain't nothing fake about it. If that was a legit license and you signed the stuff and y'all stood up there, some of y'all spent tens of thousands of dollars on me. You ain't faking nothing. You in there. And so this ain't faking it till you make it. You done made it, but it's actually making the transition from a burst of energy to sustained energy. It's going from merely emotional, passionate, romantic love, which is dope when it's there, to a steady, sustainable love. And sometimes in order to get there, your actions have to precede your affections. Or if your affections have just left, you got to move your actions just to get there. You know, sometimes, something I've been very open about, and to be honest, I'm open about it not because I'm in any way trying to brag on myself, um, but it's because of accountability. Um, so I've been very open about the fact that I've been trying to get my weight un- under control and exercise and lose weight and all this stuff. Um, and I'm going to be honest, you know, I still got a ways to go. I've made some progress. I still got a way to go. Um, but I'm going to be honest. I was very happy with my relationship with me and food. Like, me and food was good. Like, you know? Me, me, me and hamburgers... And and, and, and and Popeyes chicken sandwiches, and and and, and, and enchiladas and fajitas. Like we were cozy, bro. Like we were in there, such a good relationship. And then I went to the doctor, and my doctor was like, "No, you're not. This is not. This is not okay, sir. You're gonna be in. You're gonna be in an even closer relationship with Jesus if you keep this up." Right. My doctor. My doctor knew I'm a pastor. He like, you really want to see him, don't you? You need to, <laughs> like, you mean that. You mean everything you preach. I'm like, man. <laughs> yeah, my A1C was like, nah, bro. <laughs> like, you are actually, in fact, not in a good relationship. Um, but when I, when I began this journey, and I've had fits and starts in the past like this, but my, my emotions just wasn't with it. Like, I'm just going to be honest. It just was like, ah, if I could just eat trash all day and just eat this junk all the time and be fit, I absolutely would. Um, I just would. Um, but it doesn't work like that on this side of heaven. Now, in a new heaven and a new earth, <laughs> when the when the curse is washed away, <laughs> I'm going to eat what I want and I'll have a six pack. <laughs> that's that's what most of this Bible stuff is all about for me. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I'll just play it, I'll just play every setup, people say I'm a heretic. But, But I didn't have a desire to do a lot of anything. I I was happy and content with where I was. But what I figured out was that I didn't have the option, talking to my doctor and looking at my numbers, I did not have the option to keep doing what I was doing. And so I had to take an action that actually moved before my affection. So not only did I start back going to the gym, and y'all know how going to the gym is, you know, you just walk in for the first time, you ain't been there, and you just kind of walk in, and you're like, okay. But you know, the gym, you don't feel it enough. It's only like, you know, depending on how it is, 20, 30 bucks a month, you don't feel that that much. Like, you, you know, it don't hurt a little bit. I'm like, ah, I think I need this to hurt because I, I give somebody 20, 30 bucks a month. I ain't tripping. I'm like, ah, I think I need this to hurt. So I, I went and I got a trainer. I got, I found this, this big buff muscle dude, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> kind of tall. I'm, he right there. <laughs> 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 but I started working out with Brother Kason, and, you know, and so I got some skin in the game. And I started, you know, you pay for personal training and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, I found out that when you actually feel it a little bit, I I, I put my actions out in front and actually tied some money to it, that I was a little motivated. But I even found out then that I still wasn't totally motivated on my diet. But there was another piece that came in that helped me a lot. And it's called accountability. Because by hiring, just going to the gym, paying 20 bucks to somebody who don't know whether I come or go, doesn't hurt a lot. But by having somebody who is not only a trainer, but a brother in Christ that I see regularly, you get check-ins. How you doing? What, what, I, I saw your Facebook, and it looked like you was, you was uh, over at, uh, over at uh, Five Guys. What was you doing there? What was, uh... <laughs> I'm like, I was evangelizing. What do you think I was doing there? <laughs> I'm spreading the gospel. <laughs> People... <laughs> People at Shake Shack need Jesus too. (laughs) But what I found (laughs) was that I had to let my emotions go first and now I'm at a place where it's like I actually look forward to exercise and I actually look forward to eating well. And not only putting some skin in the game and putting a little bit of money to feel a little rough, but also getting some accountability help to shape my emotions so that I actually look forward to eating well, exercise and slowly but surely some progress is being made. Here's what I'm saying. You may feel like I am just not in love anymore. But child of God, I just want to tell you, you are in a covenant before God and before his people. And so somehow or some way, your your emotions is going to have to follow where God in your heart already promised to go. And so you need to allow yourself the Bible. And I just want to be really clear. I didn't want to just beat you over the head with this from the beginning, but the Bible doesn't say, I think it's a pretty good idea that you might love your wife if you feel like it. Y'all know this is an imperative. This is a a command, this is an action. You love your wives, you you give yourself, you find a way to love her, to give yourself to her in ways that may have to go out in front of your actions. And you might surprise yourself because you may find out like, man, I don't know if I can do it. It's like going to the gym by yourself. Don't nobody live with y'all, but y'all. But a mentor couple might be helpful. A couple, I'm telling you, couples that have walked this walk for a long time are gold. This is why people, y'all know we all do it. We all know what we all thinking when it happens. When somebody say, uh, so-and-so is celebrating a 30 year anniversary. And everybody say, oh my God, that's amazing. We know why we clapping because we're like, how the heck you put up with one person for 30 years? This is <laughs> unbelievable. We've been together three months and we don't know if we gonna make it. <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> wow. Like a mentor couple. And for my brothers, I wanna be clear. I wanna be really clear and I wanna to talk to my brothers. Listen, I know you are probably hearing this and you're like, bro, this is a lot of weight. You don't know what is happening in my house. You don't know what's going on. And listen, I can't know. It's just too many scenarios, too many situations. I wanna encourage you. You need some brothers who can walk with you, who can encourage you. Godly men. let me be clear. Not the brothers who are gonna sit and say, bro, what you need is a side chick. You don't need to hear that, okay? Not the, oh, well, the old girl at your job, she'd be looking pretty right. Because old girl at your job, look right because you you only see her put together from 9 to 5. You don't see her 24 hours a day. So, of course, she is more enticing. You need godly men who are going to say, brother, let me walk with you. Godly men who have walked this road. Godly men who can pour in. And I just want to throw in a shameless plug for Man Cave. It is a group of brothers who are walking together, who are building relationship. But listen, it is too much. Like if you're reading this and you're like, this is a lot. It is. But God is saying the body of Christ can come around you and hold your arms up when you feel like you are too weak to do what God has called you to do with faithfulness. And so that is the foundation of this marriage ministry is love. And we see that the husband, while wives love their husbands too, the husband, you are called, you want to be the head, you want to be the head of your house, you want to be the leader, good, you go first in serving by loving your spouse. So the foundation of the ministry of marriage is love. But what is the purpose of the ministry of marriage? I already told you, I gave you all the whole sermon already, it's sanctification. Look at verse 26. He says that he might sanctify her. This is Jesus, that he might sanctify her, talking about the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Look at the purpose. The purpose of this love, the reason why Jesus is loving his wife, the reason why he gave himself sacrificially on the cross, to bring his people to himself, that's us, we are the bride of Christ, the church, is so that he might sanctify her, cleanse her with washing the water by the word, and so that he might present her to himself on the day when he returns looking good. Jesus says, listen, there's a purpose. Jesus comes to set aside, to sanctify, to set apart, to make holy, to push for the side himself a people from every tribe, tongue, people, and language who will be holy and righteous and pure just as he is. All of this is Levitical language. This is the language of the temple sacrifice. When a Le- Levitical priest would take different types um, of objects, they would take them and they would wash them. And they would take a bowl that may have been hammered, that may have been welded, and they would rinse it and they would cleanse it. They would pray over it and they would set it aside for the purposes of God. But this washing of water by the word is also referring to the act of baptism, where baptism itself becomes a tangible expression of the gospel, of the word of God, of the washing of regeneration that the gospel does to our hearts when we put our faith in Jesus. But it also refers to the Jewish prenuptial bath that a wife would have the day of her wedding. It was a ritual bath that she would go through before she adorned herself before her husband. And so she would come forward and they, you know, I've done a lot of weddings. I love, that's one of the things I love about ministry. I love child dedications and births and weddings and I've done a lot of them and I've never in my life seen an ugly bride. Never in my life. Every bride I've seen decks herself out so that she may present herself to her husband. And so the Bible says here that Jesus is striving for the sanctification of the body of Christ. And he says, husbands, you should do the same thing. Let me be clear. This doesn't mean that wives does not seek to be a means of grace for our husbands. But again, the husband goes first in exemplifying this. And so I also think it's important to say that this does not mean, I want to be really clear because I've heard this preached poorly, where it almost sound like the man is responsible for the entire spiritual life and salvation of his wife. And that is just not what this text is saying, okay? Because just like the bride of Christ, the church, we do rebel against Jesus and walk away from Jesus and apostatize, so can your spouse. And so I don't, wanna, I don't want brothers to feel a weight that I don't think this text is intending for you to see. Um, you're not responsible for the whole of her life, but brothers, we are called as the leaders in our house to go forth in service to model a pursuit of Jesus and to be a means of grace and sanctification for our wives, and so, I've been talking to brothers for a while, I wanna to talk to the sisters for a while, cause I don't want you to get bored. Uh, so, since y'all are here, I got a question for you. Because the picture here is that Jesus is sanctifying his bride, that he is washing her, that she is regenerating her, that she is cleansing her, um, and that husbands should do the same. But Paul assumes something in this picture, this parable that he gives, and it's that the bride of Christ, the church, is responding to the husband. And so the question that I wanna ask you is, are you responding to your husband who may be trying to wash you in the word, who may be seeking to be a means of grace? Do you view your husband as a means of grace? Do you actually, when you see your husband, when you see the man that God has given to you, do you view him as a blessing and as a means and a mechanism to grow you up into Christ? Or do you see him as somebody that you struggle to respect or someone who annoys you or any other thing like this? The question is, do we actually see, are we like the church can be? Because y'all know how the church can be, right? We've all been in church. Does the church always submit to Christ? Come on now. Y'all should read some church history. The the answer is no. Does the church always cooperate with Jesus to be washed in the water? The, The answer is no. And so when we talk about the husband functioning as a means of grace for the wife, the challenge becomes, and I'm kind of getting into my message for last week, are you able to respond and allow your husband to do those things? Because the truth of the matter is, I've heard some sisters say, well, I don't submit because he ain't like Jesus. Look, 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 I understand. I understand. But I want to be clear that this is a similitude that he should be like Jesus, not Jesus. Be- because sometimes, to my sisters, and you know, I love y'all to life, love you to life. But some of us let ourselves off the hook. And we say, well, he ain't Jesus. He, ha- he ain't Jesus. The Bible doesn't say he has to be Jesus, that he is striving to set an example like Jesus. And the question is, are we allowing our spouse to be that means of grace? Do we see him in that light? You know, when I've I seen this TikTok video uh, not long ago. And it was this woman, she said she was getting baptized. It was, it was hilarious. This video, like, was hilarious. Um, she was in the tub ready to get baptized. They're just going to take her down. And when they went to take her down, she was fighting and wouldn't go under. And then her kids would stand around and say, Mama, you got to get under the water. You got to let them. And she, she was just like struggling. there, fighting to take her And then the pastor just like grabbed her neck and like shoved her down. <laughs> and she finally came up. <laughs> and, you know, when I, when I looked at that, I was like, is that us? <laughs> Do you have a godly man who is seeking to Wash you, who is seeking to teach you the word. And, and you may be saying, well, he, he's not trying. it. Could it be, perhaps, and I'm just throwing this out there, that you have been resisting his efforts to be a means of grace to you? Could it be that when he has sought to lead the house and sought to be the man that God has called him to be, you have fought and resisted him? And now, and I'm not saying this right, but maybe he has just finally got tired and given up. Because you will not—you are resisting the means of grace that God has called them to be. Yes, you're supposed to be means of grace in one another's life, but He is called towards that. And I know some of y'all are like, y'all are asking a real question. I can hear you. Okay, Carlos, what? What if my spouse doesn't believe? What if my husband is not a believer? How is he supposed to be a means of grace to me? Carlos, what if my wife is not a believer? How was she supposed to be a means of grace? And this is something that I wrestle with, something that I thought about a lot. And what I noticed as I just kept staring at this text is that nothing in this text stops us from loving our spouses as Christ loves the church. Even if they don't believe, that does not disqualify them from the love of Jesus. How do I know that? Because Jesus, the Bible says that God so loved the world. Not just those who would place his faith in Jesus, not just those who would turn to Jesus, but God loved the entire world. And there is a love that God pours out to all people that can be experienced. I'm not talking about laying down and, and putting aside Christ um, for a spouse who may not honor him and that may be seeking to lead you into ways that are not honoring a God. Of course, we don't do that. We are never called to sacrifice our relationship with God for any human being. And at the same time, there's nothing that stops us from loving as Christ loves the church. And so, you know, as we think about this, and we think about what it means to love as Christ loved church for my singles, uh, this gives you something to think about. Because for my brothers, this responsibility, this headship, it ain't for you to try to manipulate her into doing what you want her to do, because I'm the head of the church, or I'm the head of the house. I'm the man in this house. That ain't what Jesus says. Jesus said, I'm the man in this house, and he went and died on the earth that he made, on wood that he created, by people that he fashioned out of dust. Headship is not about you getting your way. Headship is about you finding a bride, saying that I value her so much that I'm willing to lay down my life for her. And I'm so bought into seeing her conform to the image of Christ, that I'm willing to be a means of grace that even when I see the things that are broken, the things that are fallen, the things that are ugly, that I'm saying yes to that so that I can see her when it's all said and done, look more like Jesus. And my sisters, you are saying the same thing to him. And not only that, not only that, when we start thinking about our sisters who are dating, who are considered, you know, some singles, they're, they're single and they're good, and that's fine. But some are looking, are dating. You need to ask yourself, can this person be a means of grace to me? Not just do they look good, they might look good for now. But can this person pour into me and help me to become the man, the woman that God is calling me to be? Sisters, when you're looking for a brother, and I'm going to just throw this out there for free, if you are dragging them to church now, prepare to drag them for the rest of your life. Now, God might do a miracle. He can do that, and people get saved. You hear about spouses getting saved all the time. But if you start dragging them, just go for brothers too. I've said this before. i said it again. Dating is not evangelism. If they need Jesus, share Jesus and keep it pushing. But if you're looking at a husband... Is this somebody that you can submit to their leadership, to their guidance, that's willing to be an example, that's giving you something worth following, that looks something like Jesus, and not just because you want a warm body in the bed with you? You see, when we start thinking about the ministry of marriage, it's not about primarily getting our needs met, it's about pouring out for the other, and so... We see in this text, the foundation of this ministry of marriage is love. We see that the purpose of this ministry of marriage is sanctification, but we also see the full circle of this ministry of marriage. Look at verse 28. The Bible says in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one has ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. Paul is going back to the one flesh union of Genesis two twenty four, where we love and we cherish, where the two become one flesh. And we might be like, man, listen, this sounds a little selfish. you telling me that Jesus just loved him because he loved himself? I should love my spouse because I just love myself? This sounds really, really selfish. Um, but y'all got to remember that the Bible, again, marriage is just an amplification of all of the things that God calls us to as Christians. That's all marriage is. And think about what, the, what, what God calls us to in the book of Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as what? As yourself. And so if you love your neighbor as yourself, Martin Luther said, who is your closest neighbor? Your spouse. And so when we talk about loving one another as ourselves, we see this full circle coming back that when I love and pour into my spouse, I am loving and pouring into myself. What is the big takeaway from this? Listen to me really good. And I'm saying this to the folks that are struggling in their marriage. Your spouse is not your enemy. I'm going to say it one more time. Your spouse is not your enemy. You have an enemy. Remember what Paul is going to say in the next chapter. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and heavenly places. And some of us have been so hurt. And I get it. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. But contrary to what you have seen, your ultimate enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is the enemy. And unfortunately, so many of our marriages are struggling because we are wounding one another with friendly fire. And I get it, because we think they've hurt them and we start playing the tit for tat game. You hurt me, so I'm gonna hurt you. You overdrew my account, I'm gonna overdraw your account. You made me feel bad, I'm gonna make you feel bad. And so we begin to go back and forth and we think we are hurting ourselves, but all we are doing is slowly bleeding out our own flesh. We are one flesh. We see this, we experience this with our kids, right? Even when we don't feel like it. Nobody feels like getting up, like feeding a baby at 3 a.m. But we do it because for us, we can see that one flesh more union. Even though we don't feel like it, we do it because we know there's a covenant to do it. And what the Bible is trying to remind us is that that one flesh union is actually closer with your spouse than it is with your own child. And so if you can covenant with your child to do things that you don't feel like, you can also do the same for the one that you are saying is your enemy. Listen, don't let the enemy lie to you and have you fighting each other because what you're going to ultimately do is wound yourself. I've not talked to anyone who have said that, you know, we were struggling in our marriage and all we did was go back and forth, tit for tat, and that solved all our problems. And here we are, better today. We made it 40 years because we went back and forth and we got even. (laughs) We've never heard that. And yet we do it, right? And so what should we do and we? how do we think about this? How, How do we consider this? The Bible says that we don't fight ourselves. We don't harm ourselves. When we see people that harm themselves, we actually seek to get them help because that tells us that something is going on. And so we don't seek to continue with that, we seek to help. What is happening when we are hurting ourselves, when we are harming ourselves? Oftentimes, what we're doing is we're trying to find some way to alleviate the pain and we don't know how. And so we get desperate. You know, I had a, a job that I, that I loved, um, actually, outside of ministry, and it really was ministry, um, but it was the favorite job I ever had. I actually worked in juvenile detention for three years through college, um, and I worked with young men uh, who had done all kinds of stuff and were incarcerated. Um, and sometimes I would get, um, get a one-on-one who I had to sit with arm's length because they were a self-harmer. They had a history or an experience of self-harming. And by the way, while I'm talking about something that's sensitive, if that's something that you've struggled with, please reach out. Um, and we got Carers House, we got counselors, we've got people that can walk with you and that can love you. Um, but I, would, I did this for years, and I'll never forget one young man. I can still see him. I still remember his name. Um, and I sat with this young man, and he had scars from where he had harmed. Um, and we were talking. I had to sit there with him on my shift. Um, and I, sometimes I work 16-hour shifts and had to sit there with him and talk with him. And I remember talking with this young man. And I was like, brother, why, why are you doing this to yourself? He was actually a handsome young man and had gotten some trouble. But, and what he said to me blew my mind. He said, I just figure if I keep doing it, maybe the pain will stop inside. And I mean, I just wept, I I couldn't believe it. And and, and I pray that young brother got delivered and got everything that he needs. But some of us, that's what we're doing in our marriage. Paul says, we are one flesh and we've actually turned inward and we are harming. We're thinking we're hurting our spouse. We're thinking we're hurting one another. And ultimately it's just, we're just harming ourselves and we think it's gonna stop the pain and child of God, it is not. You can't look inward, you have to look outward. Your spouse is not your enemy. What do you do instead rather than harm one another? Look at the text. It says you nourish and you cherish. The Bible says that uh, when it talks about nourishing and cherishing, this is about providing food for. This is about giving everything that they need. They, this is about being life-giving. One of the things that we, when I talked about our actions leading our affections in love, one of the things that we think about is, y'all have heard about the love languages, Right? You know, I had an interesting thing. Me and my wife did the love languages not long ago and we were looking through it and uh, we were seeing you know, what our love languages was. And it, it was a fascinating find um, because my, I like to show love by giving gifts. Um, I like to buy things. I really do. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do is to give gifts. Um, and so like in my mind, I'm like, shoot, I can buy some stuff. I can buy this, that, and other. You know, I can buy you this and that and other. Um, and then I found out that her love language, we should have did this a long time ago, but hey, we did it now. Um, <laughs> We've been in the game 15 years now. Um, but, uh, you know, I found out her love language and it was like the big, it was like the main one, I forgot what the percentage was, but the big one was acts of service. I'm like, you tell me I didn't, I didn't bought this stuff and you just want me to take out the trash? And she like, yeah. <laughs> like, well, looky there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, wash the dishes, that's right. Stuff like that. And I'm still, I'll be, I'm trying, y'all. Y'all pray for me. Cause I'm like, that's the last thing I be wanting to do. Like, ah! <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, so, you want to feel love? I'm out there, and then now I tell her, I actually, I am like, Listen, I washed some clothes today, I did an act of service, so uh, <laughs> just want you to know that you've been served and uh, like, you know, did an act of service, and that uh, you know, that's one load of clothes that you don't have to do, like you know, uh, took a lot out of me. I'm gonna take a nap, <laughs> but some of. Some of this nourishing one another. It, it isn't as complex or deep or spiritual as it seems. Sometimes, like families, sometimes our spouse's account, their, 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 their love meter, if you will, is just empty. I want to encourage you to find ways to pour in and to, do so, and to pour in and to edify one another because in doing so, you will just love and edify yourself. And so why do we do this? We do it because of the standard of marriage. It's Jesus. Jesus does this for the church. We are members of his body. He not only saved us, he not only called us to himself, he pours into us, he sustains us, he nourishes us, and he didn't do it just because he felt like it. He did it because he loves us. He chose to love us, people of God. And so here's what I want to put before us, and here's what I want to ask us. Can you choose again to love your spouse? It's got to be a choice. It's really the same question in some ways. Last week when I said, Hey, can you, start, can you start the meter from zero again? It's the same thing. Can you choose to love again? Y'all, y'all know Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. He prayed until he sweat great drops of blood in Gethsemane, that God would take the cup from him. But finally he yielded his will to God's will. And that's where some of us are. Some of us are sweating great drops of blood because we want out of this marriage. And yes, there are reasons when a covenant is broken, things like adultery and abandonment and abuse, but those things haven't happened. And you're still like, I'm white knuckling it, man. And so I want to put before us, can you choose? I know it hurts. I know it's difficult. I know there's challenges. That's why I said, you're going to need community. Can you choose to love your husband again? And so to help with that, I told you each week I'm gonna have some discussion questions for our couples and for our singles to take home, to discuss, to talk about. I would encourage you to think about it on your own, consider it, then talk to your spouse, or if you're single, talk to your friends about But talk about it. I, I actually encourage you to do it if you can, do it today or close to the day while these things and these thoughts are fresh in your mind. And these questions are not even specific for, even if you have a spouse that's not a believer, you can still talk about these questions, or have friends that are unbelievers, you can still talk about these questions. So my first question that I have for our couples for you to discuss tonight for your assignment, your homework, share with your spouse all of the ways that they have served you and loved you well. Be as exhaustive as possible. Go all in, thank and affirm them. I want you to make a list. I want you to give them everything that that you got. Think of every single way, be as exhaustive as you can. And then I want you to share one way, just one. You hear the contrast? One way that they can better serve and love you now and why that is important to you that they do so. So share with your spouse all the ways that they have served and loved you well. Be as exhaustive as possible. Thank and affirm them for it. And then share just one way that they can better serve and love you and why that is important to you. The questions are on the screen. But they're also in the app. If you go under the, um, in the Church Center app, you click on Hanley Road, click on this Sunday. If you go under this Sunday, you'll see the discussion questions right there. You also see the sermon points if you missed anything. The other question that I have is for our singles. And you can be single and looking. You can be single and content and not looking. But here's the question for our singles. Think of at least one person that has been a means of grace to you in your life. And if it's more, you are blessed and you can do this as many times as you want. Reach out, thank and affirm them for specific ways that they have encouraged and supported you. You know, for our singles, remember I told you that marriage is just an amplification of what should happen in the body of Christ. For our singles, when we think about this sanctification, we experience it in the community of Christ. So this is why I'm asking you to turn outward towards your community. So to experience the sanctification, you actually don't have to have a spouse. You can turn to your community. So reach out, thank and affirm your friend, how they have encouraged and supported you. And then ask them in what ways they need to be supported and encouraged in this season. So think of at least one person that has been a means of grace to you in your life. Reach out, thank and affirm them for the specific ways that they have encouraged and supported you. Now ask them in what ways they feel they need to be supported and encouraged during this season. But my prayer is that husbands, as we go forward in leadership, that we will be the first to serve, and that wives, we would also serve our husbands, but that we will respond to the men that God has put in our lives with grace, honor, and respect as they seek to model Jesus for us. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you, and we praise you for this beautiful picture of your love for your people called marriage. Father, there's a lot to take in. There's a lot of weight that's on us. There's a lot of things to wrestle with, a lot of things to think about. Dear God, I pray that we would not despair. God, I pray for those who may be in a marriage or in are in, in a really sweet spot right now. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for those that are in a place where they're being refreshed and renewed and experience joy and connection in their marriage. God, we thank you for that. Father, I pray that you would help them to dig deeper and to go further in that. And I pray that that season would last as long as possible. God, I also pray for those who may be struggling in their marriage. God, who may be at a place where they don't know if they can make it. Father, I pray that you would lift their hands up, that you would encourage them, that you would put community and accountability around them with people that love them, with couples that are experienced. They can walk with them. Father, and I even pray for those who are just kind of complacent in their marriage. It isn't terrible. It isn't great either. It just kind of is. They're just kind of there. They're just kind of hanging out. God, I pray that you would reignite a spark for those couples. That God, that they would experience, that they would experience passion and romance again, but that God, their love and their service for one another would go to another level. Eternal God, this is a great mystery that we all enter into. The one flesh union with Jesus. Father, I pray that all of us, regardless of our station in life, that we would keep our eyes focused on Jesus, that we may know you that we may understand you, that we may, whether single or married, wherever we are, may be conformed to your image. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.
0: Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.